that's on that land today. You know? Oh, so, nice. so right. So it's, 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 it's that concept because again, that's why I also I always say, um, eventually we need to get into those ownership spaces because you talk yeah. about Jenny Buss. Um, let's take it to Dan Gilbert, for example, when LeBron decided to leave to yeah. go to Miami, yeah. you know, he led the crusade of burning the jersey. He, he lost his favorite toy. He, he lost, lost his favorite, favorite toy. toy. What up, what up, what up? It's your boy Fur from Three Brothers No Sense. Join my co-hosts, Rozzy and Buff. And I know I don't even have to ask you fellas what's on your mind. We are all um, reeling from a, a recent loss that we and the, the rest of the city of Mobile had this past week we lost a uh a, a, a friend a listener a brother you know just a, an ambassador for the city the late great Montrez slater mr indeed the a1 bullshit um i have nothing but good stuff to say about that man and he will be missed so brothers i'm going to let you guys come in um and then we're gonna take a second and have a moment of silence yeah man i'll i just want to echo that man it, it, this one hit really really close for some reason uh because you know uh, slate was one that like you know i talk to him when you when you see him or whatever because he spoke to everybody right he, he was just one of those people that spoke to everybody was nice to everybody uh but you know we weren't super duper close or anything but for some reason it still hits really like it hurt uh and i don't know what it is uh that just is a testament to how much of an icon he was in mobile and how much of a a light he brought no matter where he was into every environment he was in um because when you say mobile is reeling i think the city is reeling off of the loss of him and um so prayers and thoughts to his family to you know the close friends that saw him every day because i can only imagine being in that light every day and not having it now and so um just just thinking about you guys and uh and and praying uh we'll keep everybody updated as, as if we hear anything uh we'll put um you know funeral arrangements and anything on uh three brothers no sense so we'll keep you guys updated on uh when we hear anything we'll we'll put it out to you so that's that's all man what what Rozzy said makes complete sense. Like as far as not being that close to him, but it like hitting you, and, and you know it hit me harder than I expected it to. Um, I've had like small interactions with him. Like saw him at all class. Uh, he actually was a guest on the other podcast that I've done, uh, politically entertaining. Uh, we we exchanged a couple of inboxes here and there. Uh, but but nothing like to where I could like say that's my friend or that's my boy or anything like that. But and I just want to tell the listeners how arrogant I was. Like when I first heard he got shot, it was like late, late. It was like real late Saturday night when I text you guys. And I remember like praying that night. I was like, you know, uh, I had heard that uh, the other gentleman that got shot, Greg, was doing OK. So I was like, OK, you know, bring bring Montrez through this, uh, bless all those that are working on him, 
bring him out. I said my prayers and you couldn't have told me that he wasn't going to pull through. So like when I woke up the next morning and found out that he passed, like I had a slight thought, like, what, what do you mean he passed? I prayed last night. There's no way that could happen. And it just immediately, it, it hit me, man. It really did. And then just to see all the tributes on social media, he really meant something to everybody in that city. And I'll just say this, man, um, and we definitely can talk about this some more in the weeks to come. He was so important to the city. I think that we shouldn't let his legacy end here. All the stuff that he was trying to do and accomplish in the city, collectively, we need to keep that pushing. You know, I'm just, I'm challenging the city. That includes me, even though I don't live in Mobile. Like, whatever y'all decide to do, count me in. Um, but it shouldn't stop with him. We can continue his legacy. And the best way to honor him is to do the things that he was working on and trying to accomplish in Mobile. Yeah. And and we never got a chance to get him on the show. I know that was one thing that uh, Byron, you had worked on at one point, talked to him. We never got him on. And so at one point, we asked a question who had the best finisher in the WWE and Montrez actually uh, dropped us a voice message and um, to tell us what he thought and who he thought had the best finisher. So I'm going to drop that in right now. So I would have to say Rick Flair on that one. Rick Flair is mentioned a lot in um, the black culture. Uh, at least you got on the show at least one time, bro. So um, just listen to that. Listen to his response on that. It's eight seconds. It's real quick. But um, we going to get you on the show, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm like you guys. Uh, as we moved apart, grew older, didn't get to spend the time with him. But I have some of the fondest memories of this guy um, just because of, you know, who he was growing up. I mean, I felt like I was under the protection of uh, Slate. You know, um, I played football, ran track. Hell, I think uh, Montrez uh, pulled somebody off and kicked my ass one day uh, when I was playing football. But on a serious note, on a track team, like he made me him, Tremaine Dow, Melvin Jones, like these guys. I was one of the younger guys on a track team and they just always made me feel welcome. You know, to the point where he used to call me Ferguson, him, him and uh, Tremaine used to call me Ferguson. And that was the beginning of my whole Ferg moniker. Like I had never gone by Ferg. And so it went from good old Ferguson running a 400, like those memories into shortening to Ferg. And as you all know, that's that was the beginning of Ferg. Like he was one of the people that initially called me that. And anybody who knows me know that's that's who I go by. And, you know, such a great guy. Um, he's definitely going to be missed. But I don't want to go further without saying we don't want to just take a second from Montrez. We also want to keep our prayers going for the Austin family. Greg Austin, I've known that dude since the early 90s back to Ainwell Baptist Church as being in Sunday school together so when I heard about him and Montrez it was like a double whammy and just hoping they all pulled through and like Byron said when we heard that Greg was uh, recovering you know I, I I expected the same thing for Slate and um, he will be missed we'll be praying for both of them praying for the families and just hoping that like we said, we can continue um, his legacy, keep building. And it just made me think 
about how quickly life can can be over. You know, I was explaining to my wife when I heard the story, it sounded like something that I was worried about in the 90s. Right. I'm 42 years old. Slate was was class 97. So 44, 45. You don't think about that's how your life ends when you're out here not living that life. You're doing doing great work. And it's just so crazy how how short and how precious life is. You know, that's something that until, you know, that day, I like I don't I don't think that I'm just gonna be outside, you know, and something like that can happen to me because that's just not the circle I roll in. That's not the things that I do. That's not the type of people I hang around and just it's crazy. Yeah. And and, that, and, and talking about mental health, right? Like the, the yeah. shooter ended up killing himself for those that don't know the story uh, because the folks outside of Mobile may not even know what happened. Uh, so, you know, for the folks that listening that's not oh, in yeah. Mobile, um, Montrez Slater was, like we talked about, an icon in Mobile um, and he was gunned down by um, a gentleman that had some mental health issues uh, and basically wanted to kill himself and felt like he needed to kill other people as well. Uh, and so came up, uh, did kind of semi-drive-by, uh, ended up uh, shooting the two gentlemen we talked about, Montrez and, and and Greg and then ended up killing himself uh, after that and so you know mental health and when we talk about that we need to talk about that side of it you know um, I, I've seen people try to come and defend the shooter and everything like that I'm not giving him a pass on it he still killed people um, and, and and we'll just leave it at that but um, we do have to talk about mental health issues and, and suicidal thoughts and homicidal thoughts coming from that depression and, and those types of things people get help get help don't don't get to the point where this is the outcome and we have to do the thoughts and prayers and have those conversations go out and get help and um and and make sure that this doesn't happen and if you have friends that you know have these kind of thoughts or they're talking it's not a joke and it it's not something that you got to let pass you need to try to uh, push them to get help as well i love that rosie i don't think there's anything else to be said about that so We're going to go ahead and we're going to uh, have a moment of silence and then we come back. We're just going to come back with a joke. All right. Now we're about to grab Sophie. Sophie, hopefully you can lighten the mood. (laughs) Hold on. Let me go grab him. Hello. (laughs) Hey, Sophie. Did you get the lamp? What lamp? Oh, now you don't know what lamp. The lamp you were grabbing when you (laughs) unplugged the internet. Oh, yeah, I did get the lamp. (laughs) Uh, How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing today? How was school? School is good. How are you doing today? I'm I'm doing good. Good. I'm doing good. Good. Thank you for asking. No problem. But you do. Ask Buff, too. Got to ask Buff. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I had a great day today. So (laughs) So we had a sad opening, Sophie. Um... Because um, we were talking about Montrez, the uh, friend that I told you that um, got shot. So mm-hmm. we need you to lighten the mood. Okay. Okay. Hey. All right. Okay, that's what I'm here for. All right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, guys. What's the capital of Florida? So, okay, so <laughs> for some reason, Daddy just talent. knows this off the off the top of his head. What was Tallahassee? Tallahassee, yeah. That's not the right answer. <laughs> what is it? That is the real capital. Not, it's a joke land. That's not how it is. 
<laughs> okay, we're not in, in joke land. The capital is F. Dang it. <laughs> you got that it today. You got it guess. today. <laughs> yeah. Yay. You got it today. I got both answers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I went the to real one and the joke land one. <laughs> I went to school in Tallahassee. Oh, you did? Yeah. I yeah. did not know that. You did? Now you, now you know. know. No one's had the battle. School. No, we didn't go to the same school. You said you guys met at school. Oh, well, we went to high school together. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, you guys did do good in school. I, yeah, I was, I was just right. not college. <laughs> Your daddy should have went to college with me, though. Yeah, how dare you? Hey, UAB gave me he more money. He abandoned me. Go Blazers. Yeah, you had to go on the money one. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. All right, big girl. All right, thank you, Sophie. Bye. Goodbye. Adios. <laughs> well, welcome back. This three brothers know since your favorite barbershop style podcast, and we have something special for you today. We have a special guest, uh, uh, Dr. Anderson, and he's going to blow your minds with what he's bringing to the table today. Rosie's going to uh, kind of tell you guys a little bit about him. All right, good people. We got a real treat for y'all today. So, um, you know, we love to bring on Black's Excellence. Ferg talks about it all the time. Uh, it's a little bit better than Black Girl Magic. Uh, well, let me let me step back. It's not better than Black Girl Magic, but uh, we do have some, uh, some some Black Excellence on with us. So we have Dr. Sean Anderson with us. He's a sharp, successful researcher, professor, businessman, all that good stuff. Uh, but he came from humble beginnings, y'all. So he worked as a janitor to pay his way through school. Got a PhD, uh, took it up a little bit of a notch, became an author, uh, published with uh, the new Black Athlete Revolt. Uh, so that's a new book that he's going to be talking to uh, us about. Uh, in 2018, he got the Man of Distinction Award by Black Excellence Magazine. Uh, he's an associate professor of communications at Loyola Marymount University. And he's the founder of CSR Global Consultant LLC uh, that helps sports organizations build social responsibility initiatives. Uh, so way too many, many accolades to this, but uh, we want to welcome right, you, right. Dr. Sean Anderson. Appreciate you joining the Three Brothers No Sense podcast on Inspire You On Air and any one of your podcasting platforms. But uh, Dr. Anderson, uh, anything you want to throw in there, add in there, tell us about yourself a little bit. Hey, I appreciate that. You know, um, it, being a professor, you know, it's not a lot of us uh, black men that are on that level. So, you know, I want to shout out to all of those who are there. And I actually just recently have been devote, uh, voted as department chair. Uh, Congrats. So, Congrats. You know, make, we're making things things work on that end, too. And I uh, appreciate the introduction. One of the best ones I've got. So, yeah, thank you. One small correction, Black Enterprise Magazine. Even though I'm sure they consider themselves black excellence. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 Byron, Buff, I want to hear your people um, debate this black excellence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause, so, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Fred. What you want to say? No, I was just joking. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Anderson, thank you for joining us. We have conversations about you know different topics surrounding the black community all the time. We talk about athletes. We're all fans of you know different sports and stuff like that so i gotta start off the, the the main question what made you just for those who haven't had a chance to read your book what made you to say sit down and say hey i want to talk about this yeah yeah so you know for for me um i grew up in the south grew up in arkansas played sports um, um here and there but then I, I had this mentality of uh you know why can't i own a team 
you know, beyond the, the, the playing field. So I, I um, had that interest in high school, uh, got to college, and I said, uh, since I didn't make it, you know, college sports, I was like, well, let me try to be the next great Stuart Scott, you know, uh, get into the sport media world. Uh, worked in sports production for a couple of years, uh, got the knack for research, and went on to pursue um, my PhD, where I wanted to kind of marry my love for sports uh, with the understanding of society. And for me, my like most favorite athlete of all time was Muhammad Ali. And so to watch what he did in the boxing ring and watch what he talked about outside of it, you know, was always uh, an interesting thing for me. And so that piqued my interest into getting into like athlete activism, how sports uh, talks about, gets into larger conversations about social justice. And so when I saw everything that happened in 2016 with Colin Kaepernick to the 2020 sort of uprising, I was like, okay, it, it's time to give the historical context um, and it's time to talk about what athletes are doing today to try to help us um, improve our society, society for the future. And so that was sort of the, the the catalyst for writing this book. So we're we're talking to Dr. Sean Anderson, author of The Black Athlete Revolt, the sports justice movement in the age of Black Matters, uh, Black Lives Matter, I'm sorry. Uh, so Ferg talked about, you know, your inspiration for writing the book. And in the book, you know, you you cover you really kind of cover like the beginning of yeah. the black athlete up to today. You mentioned, you know, uh, how Plessy Vergas Ferguson affected the horse jockeys, how we used to have black horse jockeys and yeah. that ran them out and how uh, Paul, Paul Robeson was like pretty much blacklisted yeah. at one time. So you have all this evidence where the government has shown that clearly they feel like black athletes have, if not power, they at least have a powerful, influential voice. Yeah. Yet all the time you hear a lot of uh, people say they're just athletes. They should shut up and dribble and all that stuff. Are, they, are these people aware of the history of, of how the government is trying to cancel these athletes? Or are they just trying to give us the okie doke and make us fall for the same type of, well, they are just athletes, so maybe we shouldn't listen to them. What, what are your thoughts on on people telling athletes to just shut up and dribble. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely the okie doke. Um, because again, when you're talking about, we're talking about 1875 when the Kentucky Derby uh, was created. And you're talking about between 1875 and 1896, where when black people as a whole were not promised all the things that they were supposed to get from the Emancipation Proclamation, you know, these athletes were kind of building, you know, that platform. They were considered the millionaire athletes of what we know today. They were building a platform. They were building the lives of their families and, and, and trying to do those things. But then separate but equal came. And a lot of people probably never even heard of these black jockeys beyond that point in time because come the early 1900s, they were done. And so I, I, I think people especially those who say shut up and dribble, uh, stick to sports, just being lazy and not wanting to look at the history or probably even just wanting to omit it so that, it, you know, people won't know the true impact of sports and understand that sport and politics have been around for a while, not just during the civil rights movement. So if we're talking about slavery for over 400 years, 
sport and politics have virtually been around for almost half that time. And so that's what we need to understand that we can no longer say that, you know, sport and politics don't mix. They shouldn't be together. It's been a part of this history and it's going to continue as long as we have these problems. Absolutely. And one, one other question I wanted to ask. So uh, as I, as I talked about, you know, how you took, you take the reader on the journey from the beginning to the current. So when Kaepernick, uh, was going through his thing. Yep. You know, a lot of people, sometimes they did compare him to Muhammad Ali, but I felt like mm-hmm. they missed the point as though like Tommy Smith, he yep. explicitly said he didn't like our national anthem or the flag. Yep. Jackie Robinson, who some people say was a safe Negro, he even spoke out against the flag and said, I, I yep. won't stand for that flag. They they pretended like Kaepernick was the first athlete to ever call out the flag or the national anthem Again, just like in my first question, do you think that was deliberate or did they just forget history on that part? You know, I, I, I think it was deliberate. And, and I'll say it like this. <clears throat> Back in the 90s, when Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf also protested the anthem, you know, the NBA virtually shut it down and he was pretty much gone after a few years, you know, when David Stern was running things. But that also was a time where sport organizations didn't necessarily have to uh, abide by societal rules. You know, they, they didn't follow it. If an athlete came out and talked about something, they just shut them down quickly. The thing now is there's a lot of power um, through social media. Again, we've seen a lot of these things kind of transpire since the Black Lives Matter hashtag came about, and that was 10 years ago, believe it or not. And so because that we're seeing athletes talking out, you know, establishing their own platforms like the Players' Tribune where they can talk about their issues without, you know, a third-party media source coming into play. You know, people then are are, are trying to kind of squash that because they're saying, oh, you're, you're talking too much. You got too much power now. You just need to shut up and be our entertainment. You know, um, but that time is over. And, and that's why I call it the sport justice movement, because, again, um, they can no longer be contained. They're, t- they're engaging in protests, sure. But now we're engaging in content uh, um, situations where we're getting into policy conversations and policy reform. That's what athletes are doing now. And the people who don't like that are coming out against it. That's what we're saying. Yeah, they don't. They don't want to. They don't want to see that change. Um, so, on a previous episode of uh, the show, we asked a question about um, Colin Kaepernick and everything, and, and yeah. Muhammad Ali. And we we he said, "Can there ever be another Ali?" And so, I want to ask you that question and get your response on that. Do you think there will ever be another Ali? Uh, because even with Colin Kaepernick standing up like that, he, Ali's still kind of that golden standard. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. I don't think so. Um, you're talking about what he had to face. You know, not only with him converting to Islam. You know, that that's minor compared to the vitriol that he faced for not going to war, and you know, the whole country came against him. You know, at that point in time, and you're talking about somebody that was brash and bold and spoke their mind uh, when we was when he was still facing lynching and other things that were going on in the country at that point. 
Now that I'm saying that to say that are we overtly seeing racism like we did in the civil rights era? Probably not because it's not being perpetuated. Doesn't mean it still doesn't exist, but we're not seeing it as blatant as it was back then. So I, 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 I don't know if we will see um, somebody at this juncture who is like Muhammad Ali, I guess until we see like rampant change where we have more black owners, you know, more black general managers. Once we start seeing those shifts and we can attach it to somebody who caused those changes, then maybe, but not at this point. I don't think so. So we've had this conversation multiple times and you probably had it in your circle. It's like there's a lack of black leadership. You're like, where's yeah. our Kings? Where's our Malcolm X? Where's our Muhammad Ali's? Yeah. And so my question to you is. Are black athletes in the position to be? The, the I guess the biggest black influence. And out of all the other career paths and other people who speak out against uh, injustice, why are black athletes the ones being targeted to shut up and dribble? They're not saying that to preachers. They're not saying that to other people. This is specific to athletes. It seems like it's specific to athletes. Why the black athletes are, are, is it because of the fear they have? Or I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, so to go back to the the, the, the first question, you know, I, I think we're seeing uh, Magic Johnson, who, of course, Hall of Fame career is building this gigantic, you know, diverse business platform. You know, he's getting into ownership in, in, in many things on a movie, uh, on cinemas and things like that. So, you know, he's making a mark. Of course, LeBron is making a mark. Um, I, I think now we are seeing the sort of business side where athletes, even before they retire, are investing and not losing money like we've seen before, you know, in many cases. So we're seeing that slowly but surely. Uh, but when it comes to uh, that that concept of should they just shut up and dribble and, and all that stuff, you know, I, I take it to this uh, thing that the NFL just got rid of a year or so ago where they said that they were at fault for having a doctor who basically proclaimed that the mental capacity of, of the black athletes in the NFL were inferior to white athletes. That's why you didn't see a lot of black quarterbacks. And so many people came out against that and they finally had to get rid of it. And so I say that to say, I believe that because they did it, I'm sure other sport organizations did that too, to where they sort of um, masked the intelligence of black players to make them look like they were not intelligent. So because it- society had that concept, then it's easy to say, you're not smart. You need to stick to sports. You need to stay in your lane. And I think that's why that's associated with them. And not with like the actors and, and other people that we see. That the, the dumb jock, the dumb jock persona yeah. is that uh-huh. makes a lot of sense of why they say you stick over there, you do that because you're the dumb jock. 
Yeah. Because if they if people realize that the dumb jock has something to say, like, are they are they fearful of the power? Because you mentioned something really big in the business aspect. Yeah. Because these are some of our highest paid black people in the community. There's 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 money. And we all know where there's money, there's power. Right. So it's me as a just with our podcast, we can we can scream to the rooftops with the injustice, but we don't have the financial backing to do this. But if yeah. somebody like LeBron says, I'm going to back this this podcast, I'm I'm, I'm going to push this podcast now. Whoa, whoa. There's a whole nother aspect to it. So are they fearful of the power behind the money? Is it because not just the money? It's because they're the face of a franchise. It's not me being a black pastor. No, I'm not a black pastor. But if I'm a black pastor and I'm speaking to a black congregation, it doesn't affect the community as much. Yeah. But LeBron and these other athletes who are out here doing things like you represent the Lakers, not the black Lakers. You re- represent L.A. Lakers, who are the biggest yeah. sports franchise in basketball. I have to be careful what you say because you impact my pockets. But also now you have a whole new uh, congregation of listeners. People yeah. are following you and something you say might come back to hers. Cause I'm always, I've always been confused on why, you know, a lot of times we're like athletes need to say more, they need to do more, but it's, yeah. is there more behind the scenes that's stopping them from speaking up because you are know, they the power play? Y- yeah. You know, here's the thing too, because you were connecting that, that, that thought process again, like you say, why the, the athlete singled out relative to stick to sports or I mean, stick to, yeah, yeah, stick to sports or whatever, instead of like telling musicians stick to music, you know, it's, it's, it's this athletes also have that attachment to culture, right? Where black culture, the, the way we go about doing things is usually copied by, you know, white folk. Uh, you, you think about the, the type of dances that we do, some white kid to do it on mm-hmm. TikTok and it blows up. You know, it, it takes me back to when Miley Cyrus was twerking, right? Some years right. ago. I'm like, man, yeah. that was doing that in New Orleans 20 years ago. But <laughs> yeah. when she's doing yeah. it, it's 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 a phenomenon. And so if you now then bring that power of the athlete, of the LeBron, of the Giannis, um, of uh Steph Curry into the fold of business then yeah, I think there's a large level of fear uh, involved in how much of their power can impact the way that we go about our society. So it's it's a both and. It's the constantly trying to put down their intelligence while also trying to control how cultural power is shifted. You know, um, I think that's always been the case, but we're, we're seeing some growth with that again because of athletes having a a an outlet through like Twitter or Facebook or TikTok. Sometimes it gets into trouble, but you know, we're seeing some some growth slowly but surely. Is it is it fair to put the responsibility on our athletes to fight some of these causes? Oh that's a great question. I, I and you know what and I think that was a question that was not just asked about the athletes of today, but that was, you know, over the years, should they become involved? 
you know, it takes us back to Charles Barkley saying, I'm not a role model. I'm not a role model, yep. <laughs> right. No, he's a uh, right. And so did he try to clarify that by saying, oh, you know, I was just saying that, you know, teachers and doctors and lawyers should be looked at uh, as much as we are. But I, I, I think there still should be some morality uh, brought to these uh, athletes at the end of the day because, again, just bringing it back to the point I just made, they have tremendous power, whether they want it or not, to influence society. And so, you know, um, if you're talking about <clears throat> trying to build schools, for example, like LeBron, uh, like Jalen Rose, then quite naturally, uh, the, the conversation will then shift from not only your playing career, but how are you making a pathway for these kids uh, for the future? And so, yeah, I, I, I don't see why we should stop putting that responsibility on them. Now, if we're saying that they're the only ones responsible, then yeah, I, I should say no, not, not all the way. There needs to be uh, connections and collaborations um, if we want to push things forward. Yeah, good. Yeah, and some of the responsibility falls on everyday people like us too. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to kind of take it a well. No, this is still to the athletes, but anytime a George Floyd or a Trayvon Martin happens, the media always asks the black athletes, right? Yeah. But yet we always hear how we're one country, one nation. You know, we're not divided. But when things like that happen, they only ask the black athletes, so they're pretty yeah. much saying, "Hey, that happened to y'all." What yeah. you got to say about that? Should yeah. we start challenging our media to ask these white athletes to speak? Like if we're, if it's an American problem, you know, not just a black problem, but an American problem, then shouldn't white athletes, shouldn't Peyton Manning be asked, you know, what he thinks about what happened to Trayvon? Uh, shouldn't shouldn't uh, Aaron Rodgers, a lot of these other high profile, like yeah. why do we always only go to the black athletes and and put that question on them? Do we need to start challenging our media in that way? Absolutely. And here's why, you know, um, I, I, it, I, I blame it on the way that the media portrays the athletes. Mm. OK, so check this out. I call it the Tom Brady effect. I, and I wanted to research study on this, actually, because <laughs> remember when T.O. was in the league and, and he, of course, he's had a Hall of Fame career. But when we saw him arguing on the sidelines, you know, we have people say, oh, he's a team obliterator. He's a he's a mm -hmm. diva receiver. He's, he's going to tear the team apart. But every team he was on, whether you liked his personality or not, he was showing out and balling out. Yeah, he you know, was. doing his thing. You couldn't you couldn't get on him for his athletic ability. What? He's mid 40s, still running a four or five. I mean, come on. But when Tom Brady is fussing cursing, yelling on the sideline. Fire in his belly. Yeah. He's competitive. <laughs> Passionate. <laughs> Challenging the team, making, making the team better. Uh, uh, he's, you know, we see these analysts at halftime saying, oh, he's he's a leader. You should listen to him. Look at look at what he's done for our 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 game. You should, you know, if he's firing at you, then, then you should bow down and, and listen to what he has to say. And this is also watching Tom Brady yelling and cursing out at referees, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that has been the perpetuation um, that we've seen over time that when 
white leaders are called out um, or they are shown to do stuff, it's always something that's just going to push the conversation to, oh, you know, this is just part of the game. You should listen, you know, yada, yada, yada. But then the black players, it's, it's their problem. And they then connect that to things that are happening outside of sports and say, mm-hmm. oh, well, you're a problem on the field. You have problems off the field. Then you deal with it instead of bringing in these white players to, to, to talk about it as well. That's what I think the problem is. Uh, so it's so funny because we we just talked about that with the whole Caitlyn and Angel Reese uh, conversation Angel where Reese, that yes. ex- exact same thing happened, right? With the you can't see me and all of that. So kind of shifting to those uh, yeah. gears to uh, kind of women's basketball and 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 what's happening there. Um, and and recently Angel Reese came out and she was like, I have no interest into going into the league right now because I make more money with my NIL deals than I do in the league. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that dynamic or, you know, if, if you're comfortable talking yeah. about NIL deals and what's happening sure. with that. And does that change a little bit of that dynamic of younger kids who actually we see, you know, Gen X wants to change the world or whatever, what are they? Gen Z? Gen Z wants to change Z. the world. Gen, Z. Z. Gen, Gen X uh, messed up the world um so that that's i stand on that one gen z messed up the world or gen x messed up the world but gen x gen z wants to change the yeah. world and so now that they have those nil deals and they're able to get these platforms much much earlier uh do you see that change in where people won't go to the league faster and they'll go to college because they have the money now and, and those types of things do you see that shift oh yeah absolutely i i i think that's um we would definitely see that shift, particularly when it comes to non-revenue generating sports. So if you're talking about um, if the men's college basketball uh, still has the one and done, which I know they're, they're contemplating on trying to get rid of that again, then we'll probably see them go ahead, at least the ones that are projected in the top 10. And then secondly, football, you know, when you're eligible in your junior year, a redshirt sophomore year, you know, they'll probably go ahead and go if they are in the first couple of rounds. But definitely we'll see athletes stick around more um, because of the NIL. But here's the challenge. The NCAA, you know, they are catching flack because of the NIL deal. You know, they're losing that power and credibility. Now, the NCAA, for years, when it was the president who was in that position, it was always a former college president that took that role. But now, the current NCAA president is a politician. And so, why would we put somebody who, I, I think at the time, used to be the governor, or, or he was a leader in Massachusetts, why now have a politician in this role if to not try to fight back against the NIL. Mm. Okay. Yeah, they, they, they setting up for that. They're, they're setting up for that. And so as we see that growth of the NIL and what these athletes earn and even what they give to charities and things like that, the NCAA is going to try to find a way to get a piece of that pie in one way, shape, or another. And so while we will see the Angel Reese's um, other athletes <clears throat> stay probably that they're full 
four years in the sport, we're going to see the NCAA also try to, uh, again, reclaim that power and in, in how they structure the college sport game. It remains to be seen, but that they're, they got a politician for a reason. So, and, and with your, with your consultant agency, you know, you, you kind of help some of these organizations yeah. build some of these responsibility yeah. initiatives and things like that. So kind of tell us about um, that, how that works and like what kind of um, initiatives kind of have you uh, built in the past, those types of things. Yeah. So um, CSR Global Consulting, um, it's, it's essentially an organization that helps sports brands um, develop, implement, and in many cases, if they need revisions, amend their social responsibility initiatives. So um, it's it's been avenues where I've either given, you know, um, a, a keynote speaking address to, you know, executives, or I've served uh, other organizations outside of sport who are trying to tell the stories of sports figures. So, for example, I was brought in by PBS a couple of years ago um, because they wanted to create this children's show called Xavier Riddle and the Secret Museum. And in that show, they wanted to tell the stories of key figures in society like Albert Einstein, um, Helen Keller, people like that. And so they called me in because they wanted to start telling the story of Jackie Robinson, um, Althea Gibson, Jesse Owens, and all these people. So essentially, they gave me the script of the show and they asked me to see if they're accurate or or are they telling a story that uh, will, you know, positively uh, impact the legacy of a Jackie Robinson. And it was in so many of those cases where I had to go back and forth with them like several times to tell them, now this ain't gonna work. This ain't how the story is gonna be told. This is not how people acted back during the civil rights era, pre-civil rights era, you got to change this, amend this. So those are some of the things that I've done. With sport teams, <laughs> this is interesting. Uh, one organization that I was supposed to work with was basically trying to build all of these initiatives to like for community development and low-income communities, all this stuff. But instead of me actually sitting and reading through what they were trying to do, they just wanted me to say, oh, I see this, I'm going to check this off. Y'all can go ahead and do it without any type of evaluation. And so, of course, for me, I was like, that's all right. I don't want any part of this. If I can't actually take this apart and try to build something with it. And so those are a lot of the things um, that I do and the things that I see and the challenges that I have in, in doing this consulting work. It's funny that you say that because it made me think of, it sounded like they wanted you to stamp your name by it to get approval like they wanted to it's it's almost like i have a black friend um uh, moniker so there's an episode of atlanta that was similar to that where um i forgot oh my god was it the uh the the coon uh wear apparel yes yes and they brought in this black delegation this black uh, committee to kind of say well you know they've never been racist and all this stuff and we're going to give money to charity and all this trying to make up for their atrocities and stuff like that but I always question because even in today we we see so many companies and even away from sports just make these like 
I don't slip ups. I don't know things that are just so cringeworthy. It's like how how are you going to put monkeys on a shirt for Black History Month? Like, what makes you yeah. think that's a good idea? You know, <laughs> why are we going to have uh, Black History Month celebration? We're going to have chicken and watermelon. Like, what? How far are we from making like real progress? Because it just seems like these are things that. There should be. They shouldn't even have to hire you to say, "Okay, let's not mention watermelon fried chicken." You're like these. Let's check this off. The, the those are ten things we're throwing out. Now let's bring in Dr. Anderson for these things that might be real. You yeah. know, are companies really making trying to make strides, or is it is it just? I don't know. Is it Checking just a flash block. in the pants? Is it because it's popular now to try to be socially correct? Yeah. No. Um. I. I again, I think that's a both and. I think it's trendy. You. But you do have a few organizations that are trying to um, um, make a difference. The ones that I've dealt with, where I said no, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to uh, work with you. Um, are, are again, those who I say are very reactionary. I, I, I call it like a like a toddler who's sitting there eating spaghetti with their hands and they're just throwing it everywhere. And it's, it's some of it is sticking, and some of it is not. And that's what these sport organizations are doing. They're just throwing out all these things and saying, you know, we've done this. Um, we exposed 20 black kids to uh, a, 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 a MLB stadium, or we've exposed 20 black kids to the beach where they've never been there before. And we have made success in our society. Well, none of that stuff speaks to, for example, some sport organizations who are uh, saying that they are building educational pathways for black kids. Well, taking them to the beach, you know, okay, cool. That's that's a fun day. But what does that do for the, the scholarships that you say that you're going to give them? Well, you know, what's, what's going to happen? But here's the thing. And this is how sport organizations are getting around these issues. Let's say, let's take Major League Baseball because my dissertation was actually on them. So Major League Baseball says that you can't get drafted by a team if you're under the age of 18. Okay? And let's say that you have a million dollars that you want to invest in this one kid to help them get to the pros. Well, there's this thing called the boatload mentality that says, okay, I can't focus on this kid that's a U.S. kid, but I can go to the Dominican, take that same million dollars, split it five ways and I can start building up these kids from the age of 12 so that by the age of 18 they're skilled enough to get drafted into the game and so with the goal of if at least two or three of them make it we've invested our money well but the other kids are just going to go back home to poverty and so that's one reason why we see the lack of black players in the game in Major League Baseball, and we've seen the increase of Dominican players. So there's maybe, what, 6%, 7% black players in, in, in baseball, whereas there's 20 to 30% of uh, Dominican players. And then we saw in the last World Series, no black players are on the roster. The only black person that was involved was Dusty Baker, the head coach. Wow. Mm-hmm. So here's the, that's, that's the, this is the thing. Major League Baseball has this corporate social responsibility concept that says this is the game of Jackie Robinson. 
and we are wanting to make this game equitable. But again, to this day, and they've had programs to try to fix this since 1989, still, there are these problems. And so, especially for the major organizations, we're still seeing problems. Um, I will give the NBA a little bit more credit because Adam Silver is a player's commissioner and he's at least willing to sit down to see what can we do to change things. It hasn't scratched the surface of what we need to happen. But again, these are the issues that are present. Sport organizations say they're trying to do stuff, but for the most part, it's just lip service. So that's the challenge that I'm trying to push for with accountability on that angle. Yeah, and it's crazy because I always think about what gets black people upset enough. Yeah. And poor black athletes is not one of them. Yeah. It's because these issues affect a small few, mm-hmm. right? Are we going to boycott the Lakers? Are we going to boycott MLB because they're 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 recruiting and not spending enough money in the black neighborhood? It's like okay, now we just want to have a couple more multi million dollar black players. Like, yeah, it's so it's a problem that affects a few in our, the way we see it. But at yeah. the same time, if you know the athletes potentially were more involved or more visibly involved in black issues where we're seeing them as the leaders and the, the potential they have to give back to the community, you know, what we support them more. It's it's a it's a tangled web. It's we yeah. don't care enough, it's not bad enough, and we're just gonna keep on trucking because they make a lot of money and their problems aren't our problems. Right. So so um I think I, I think uh, I want to get you to correct me on something because I think I'm in the minority on the panel. I've been hearing the word power thrown a lot, thrown around a lot with these athletes. Okay. I actually I actually don't think athletes have power. They have powerful voices. Yes. So they choose to use their voice to influence a large group of people to go out there and demonstrate. Then maybe you can call that power. But to me, Jenny B- LeBron doesn't have power. Jenny Buss has power. You know, uh, Patrick Mahomes doesn't have power. The owner of the Chiefs has power. Yeah, Those athletes have leverage. Yes. So they can use their influence and try to leverage. But I try to be careful with that word power because we have all these black athletes. If they had so much power, we wouldn't be asking every year, why aren't there that many black NFL coaches? Why aren't yeah. there any black NFL owners? So I just wanted to see what your thoughts were on that. No, uh, I agree with that 100%. It's, it's, it's okay. like the, the rich versus the wealthy mentality, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's again, that's been the concept that I kind of had in my mind because you know, my grandfather growing up, he had an eighth grade education, but he was about business and, and building business. And, and he bought land in 1947 when my mom was born uh, for $200. And, and me and my sisters own that land today. You know, oh, so right. so right, so it's 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 that concept because again, that's why I also I always say, eventually we need to get into those ownership spaces because you talk yeah. about Jenny Buss. Um, let's take it to Dan Gilbert, for example. When LeBron decided to leave, to yeah, go to Miami, yeah. you know, he led the crusade of burning the jerseys. He, he lost his favorite toy. He, <laughs> he lost, lost his favorite, his favorite toy. toy. Yeah, LeBron came yeah. back. It's kumbaya. LeBron left again. And here we are. But at the end of the day, 
yeah, LeBron is getting the, the, the media attention, but Dan Gilbert is going to pass the Cavaliers down to his kids, their kids, so on and so forth. Same thing with Jerry Jones. The, the Cowboys are one of the worst franchises when it comes to winning uh, a Super Bowl over the last couple of decades, but they, but they are win. America's team. Yeah. They are America's team, and they are the most highly valued NFL team. Yes. Uh, and it's not even close who the second team is. Jerry Jones is 80-plus. He's going to pass that down to his kids. That's the power. And I absolutely believe that 100%. Players have a lot of leverage. They have a lot of media attention. But they're trying to scratch that surface of becoming billionaires. But you got somebody who um, created uh, a, a computer technology company who's coming in and buying the team that you're playing for. So right. that speaks a lot to where the power dynamics are. When we can get to that systemic uh, oppression that we're seeing at the ownership level, at the president of the team level, I think that's when we are able to make um, a lot of strides because, again, like you say, the Rooney rule is a strong suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. It's, not, it, it's, it's not mandatory. No. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it for, oh, we didn't hire enough black coaches. We'll talk about it for a month and then that conversation is over until it happens again the following year. But no, and it's I, good press. I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And it's great press. Great press. It's a great, it's great talking, talking point and something sports center yeah. to go over and no nothing changed. I mean, Byron, thank you for pointing that out because I think, like you said, the difference in wealthy and rich, right? Yeah. Now, that uh, I think the challenge with athletes is you probably have the largest concentration of black leverage, if that's where we're yeah. looking for. You know, like mm-hmm. where you just have turn to your left, turn to your right. These are millionaires. Yeah. You know, look across the court, millionaires. And that doesn't happen a lot. And so my, my question goes back to my original question. What is the fear? Like, are they fearful that, you know, this is the beginning? If they can oppress this, then this furthers our chance of getting power. Yeah. You know, because you have enough black NBA players to once they retire to go buy an NBA team. Yeah. You know, if you, I, I, you, I do think that's LeBron's plan, too. Yeah. To I mean, I, I think yeah. so. Um, same with the NFL. Like, there's things that could happen. How do you do that? You know, uh, start their own franchise. I don't, I don't know what it is, but uh, it, it's just crazy, man. I mean, I'm. You keep doing your work. First of all, let's yeah. give you your flowers while you're here. I don't think we harped on you enough about what you're doing, uh, yeah. how you're shining a light on something that should be discussed more. You know, yeah. um, and there's so much more to black athletes and black athletics than we know you know we get excited about the like you said the impact that they have you know everybody job rent got black and white kids across the country doing the gritty you know yeah yeah now if job rent or somebody like that had the same influence on something that was truly impactful in our lives where would that go like how you know keep them the dumb keep them the dumb athlete you know, keeping yeah. the dumb job, keep them dancing. 
kudos to you, brother, and what you're doing. Yeah. I got to hit, hit back on. Where the hell were you working as a janitor that you paid your way through school, bro? You made me nah. think of <laughs> one of these 80s films where, you know, they got a summer job as a lifeguard yeah. and they paid away. Man, I had a job. I was in the Army. I was doing all kind of stuff, and that paid my rent. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, you know, here's the thing with that, though. Uh, man, I, like I say, I'm the first person in my family to earn a doctor. Uh, my my mom's she was a janitor uh, her whole life, you know. Um, my grandfather worked, you know, it was back in the in the day, you know. But he he worked as a factory worker, making five thousand dollars a year, taking care of eleven kids uh, from the '30s and '40s, you know, all the way up. When I was born, he he'd already tired, but he went back to work as a janitor. So it was him and my mom's working in the same district, and so. Um, again, they instilled in me that, you know, I need to pursue something. My mom's told me that when I was uh, born, he said, you know, I was going to be great. And, and, and I, I take that to heart and I appreciate it because, um, again, once, you know, I made it to college, you know, we, small city in Arkansas, was, we had smart black kids, but the black kids were not given the scholarship offers like the white kids were. And so it was trying to survive, you know, um, knowing that I wanted to make it out of the hood. Um, and, you know, my mom's knew the people that worked at the school district. And so I said, hey, I'll just go to school full time from eight o'clock in the morning to three uh, thirty in the afternoon. And then I just go to work from four to midnight. And I did that for my first two and a half years of college. And so um, until I started doing internships and got into the media world. And so it kind of built from that. And, and, and so, you know, it, it, it was just that strategy of, again, you know, humble beginnings. You know, nobody taught us anything about business or, 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 or leveraging your education to do consulting, none of that stuff. So it, it's been that journey, um, you know, and there were multiple times where I was, got homeless, <laughs> car repossessions, all that stuff along the way um, to get to this point. And so for me now, it's like, I, I understand what I want to do. I've, I've been doing this for over a decade and I'm just continuing to build out, build it out. You know what I'm saying? And I want to inspire, you know, the next generation that, you know, this, this black male man magic thing is real. And, and, and speaking of that, you know, it's, it's, it, it was a decade ago when we weren't even talking about this. And so it's, it's good to talk about it now because I think this is now setting that standard of intelligence that we needed to see. And so it's showing that, you know, we can build from scratch and get to this point. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's what I want to do. Dr. Sean M. Anderson, the book is The Black Athlete Result. I can't talk today. The Black Athlete Revolt, <laughs> the sports justice movement in the age of Black Lives Matter. Doctor, we want to thank you for coming on, man. Very interesting to topic. I read um, $40 million slaves about 15 years ago. So yeah. when I saw your book out, it just I just instantly thought about that book, man. So a lot of good nuggets in there. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Ferg. Yeah, I was actually about to mention that. I was looking at that. I actually... Uh, was listening to it the other day um, and when I heard about your book that's the first thing I thought about yeah. I was going to bring it up earlier but I didn't want to bring it up like I want to 
if he ain't reading this book, I'm gonna sound like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, man, like you were saying, Byron, definitely thank you for being on. I didn't mean to cut you off, my brother. Continue. Oh no, I was pretty much done. I just wanted to uh, thank you for coming on, man. It was great discussing all these different topics, man. And for the listeners, go out there. His book is available on uh, Kindle. I said Kindle <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> Nobody has Kindle. It's on Amazon. Uh, matter of fact, while we have you here, tell the listeners everywhere they can get your book and where they can find you as far as social media and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. So so the book, The Black Athlete Revolt, the Sport Justice Movement in the Age of Black Lives Matter. Uh, like I said, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound. Wherever books are sold, it's even in Walmart. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can check it out there. Go get it online. Um, my website is www.shawnmarkanderson.com. Um, you can find me Twitter, Instagram, Sean Mark Speaks, um, LinkedIn, Sean Mark Anderson, um, Facebook. I got a different name. It's called Sports Doc and the letter A <laughs> after that. So that's where you can find me. Gotcha, man. Well, thanks again for coming on, man. And uh, stay in touch, man. We definitely want to uh, hear more about your journey because you obviously like doing big things. So uh, keep oh, in yeah. touch, man. Let us know what I you have going it. on. Hey, Congrats man, again. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, Appreciate thank you. Appreciate you, man. All right. All right, fellas. That was a great Anders, uh, interview. Thank you again, Dr. Anderson. Everybody go check out the book. I will be picking it up and adding it to my reading list. Um, but let's go ahead and cl- close on out. So who wants to go first? Well, that's a, a lot going on uh, politically. First, we'll start with the state of Tennessee. As you all know, uh, they expelled two members in the state legislature of Tennessee uh, I believe it was, was it, Justin Pearson and Justin Jones, I believe. And um, I forget her name. The white lady was up, but she 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 withstood the uh, expulsion. So only the yeah, two she was, brothers. She was part of the Tennessee Three, right? Yes. But the two brothers were expelled, and I think they are both back uh, in 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 their in um, their district. The but what do you mean expelled? <laughs> like literally kicked out of uh, state Congress. Like literally, like out the building. That too, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you mean they out their position and the building? They got fired. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. They got they got Martin or they got uh, Uncle Phil. What, what he would do to jazz? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and they got they got thrown out, man. And basically, the Republicans were saying they did it because of their protest of uh, gun laws after that shooting that we talked about last on last week's show that happened in. Uh, was it in Nashville? Mm-hmm. That Nashville. shooting happened. Yeah. yeah, the shooting happened in Nashville, and so they, uh, you know, they protested, and the Republicans said that they were very disruptive. That's what protests are. But okay, um, but it's kind of backfiring on them too because a lot of the national politicians, even some of the national Republicans, are like, you know, what the hell y'all? Doing? <laughs> so uh, that's that. Also, um, so was it anything like? Je- Never mind. Let's go. <laughs> No, you know what though? That was some people did try to equate that. Yeah, they said that was an insurrection. It was like, yeah, no, no, no. That was that was kind of nice try. Um, The other thing I got too, man, is um, I mentioned politically entertaining at the top of the show. Uh, We actually once, well, actually twice, interviewed uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, and he just announced. Well, he didn't announce, but he has an explore a presidential exploratory committee. 
So he is thinking about running for president. So as a if Republican, he does that, yep. Uh, uh, Tim Scott. Tim Scott. I, I, yeah, but I mean, it, it's if you could see Rosie's face. <laughs> what you? What were you? What would he run as? Independent. <laughs> he probably has a better chance of running as an independent than he does as a Republican. So listen, because well, people, and, and let, let me let me be clear. It's mainly because I don't think he's right enough. To get the the Republican nod, and so that's why I said as a Republican because it's he he's he toes the line as much as he can for a black man in the Republican Party. Uh, let's just well, be honest. Let me ask y'all this: Have you guys heard of Strom Thurmond? Hmm. Okay, and we know how powerful last names are in politics. And I'm just gonna say this: I'm not I'm not predicting that I think he'll win anything. But for the people that are laughing off a Tim Scott run, I'll say this. He's a black man that won against Thurman's son in South Carolina. And Strom Thurman was a very, very, I mean, he held that seat for a decade. He pretty much died in office. So he ain't no lightweight. He know what he's doing. That's all I'm going to say. And he voted with Trump a lot. You know, he sided with Trump a lot. So he may be right enough. I don't know if he has what that those voters are looking for. We'll see. Good, good luck on that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, couple things I have is uh, first, we you know we talked about uh, Shanquilla Robinson uh, when she passed away in Mexico with her friends uh, after they beat mm-hmm. her up. Um, the feds basically said that they don't have enough evidence to charge anybody in that uh, murder. Let's just call it what it was. Um, and so at this point, um, the family won't get justice from the the, the justice system uh, when it comes to um, that. They'll probably file a civil suit. They'll probably get some money on that. They'll probably win in the civil side. Uh, but nobody's going to jail over um, that. And that, that does make me really sad. Um... And the other thing is, Ferg, you might be excited. Um, they HBO Max that is actually ma- becoming just Max now. Um, Discovery Plus and HBO Max are combining uh, to become just Max. But uh, they announced that they are redoing Harry Potter as a series. So each book will be a season and you will get about eight to ten hours of each book instead of just the two hours that you got for each book from the movies so it the harry potter world is split on that one um but a lot of people are leaning towards liking it um so yeah we'll see i'm kind of excited for it myself i think it's gonna be pretty good yeah the nostalgia in me is against it but the like the fan that wants to see because like the true fans are like the movie just did not do the book justice you know, if they do it right, then it's just gonna be hard not seeing the original actors play themselves. Now they'll probably make some cameos and stuff like that, which might be cool. Um, do you know if um, J.K. Rowling is gonna have anything to do with it, or I, I'd assume she'd have a little bit with okay. it, but you know, uh-huh. um, if coming off of Hogwarts Legacy and how much she had there, I, I assume she's it's not gonna be a lot. They're probably just gonna license Listen, it from her. Listen, give her, give her something. Let's not talk about that game. Oh yeah, you still <laughs> haven't got the game. <laughs> How Star Wars though? Are you are you enjoying that? Have you played it? It's it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. You know, 
So mine, um, I was going to choose th- two things, but I'm just going to keep it to one and I'll bring the other one up later. So you brought up the NBA, I mean, the college, women's college basketball, and we've talked about WNBA a couple of times on here. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step back. I didn't watch the NBA, WNBA draft. Did any of you guys watch the WNBA draft? Nope. But, you know, I look at my sports center app a couple of times a day. And when I looked at some of the the actual the young ladies getting drafted in their interviews, I, I take a new stance on the sport itself. And I, I, I challenge the WNBA to do better. Because when I look at it, just to hear these young ladies story, the same energy and commitment and sacrifice that the these athletes that we applaud and look up to male athletes do the women do the same thing. Like they're 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 putting just as much work, they're doing everything and for a lot less support, a lot less accolades. And I just want the WNBA to find a way you got to make it work these these young ladies deserve it like they they deserve and i'm not even talking about the money i don't know how they're gonna get but they got to do a better job of marketing and getting these ladies something because we all have daughters and we've all done sports and stuff like that we only took our sports career so far but just think about the energy and commitment it would have taken all of us to make it to any of the leagues or any even just a, a collegiate athlete how much dedication we would have had to do and if our daughters choose to go down that path for them not to get the same support um it's tough you know it's a it's a it's a it's a semi slap in the face for women it's like putting that same work but you're not going to get the you know the same support and um go back and just look at even um Boston the number 1 draft pick her her interview and the excitement her family and everybody had around that it was just really heartwarming and just seeing all the ladies they did you know a couple of interviews with the top i think you know probably 5 to 10 pick draft picks and it was just like man these girls, these young ladies did what they were supposed to do to make it to the pinnacle of their their profession. And it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, that's it. It was. Yeah. And it made me think, you know, like you, you were talking about with um, Reese. Why come out? Why? Why halt or delay going to what was supposed to be the dream? Because it's not there. You know, you put all this work and you got to you got to halt because college football being college basketball, women's college basketball is almost that's as good as it gets. Uh, I'm supporting these ladies. I hope that I challenge WNBA to do better. I don't know. I hope I'm going to try to watch some games this year. Um, But, you know, more support. Oh, one thing I did want to say, we'll probably review it next week. But if you have not seen Super Mario Brothers, go see that movie. It is, it's dope. Yeah, it is so up. good. So breaking records. It's yeah, breaking records. it is good. We watched yeah. it twice this weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know if it was I, that good. I, but. I, I had one more political nugget too. Uh, Give it to us. Senator Schumer has announced that they're going to vote in the Senate next week. Uh, 
We've heard Trump say that he wants to defund the DOJ and the FBI and stuff like that. So, you know, we know Republicans were attacking the left for saying defund the police. So Schumer's like, okay, we're going to have a vote on the Senate floor on whether or not to defund the DOJ and the FBI. And he wants to get Republicans on record on which way they are on that issue. That's so crazy. Political pettiness. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And when they say defund, they mean dismantle? (laughs) Oh, yeah. uh, Pretty much. It it ain't the fun we were talking about. (laughs) And the fact that that's even like... Aren't you the same person when they were talking about defund the police that made that seem like it was a war crime? Right. Mm -hmm. And you're saying the whole Justice Department. Right, right. Leave, leave their president alone. So. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, Sorry about that. yeah. Once again, Three Brothers No Sense, your favorite barbershop style podcast. Remember, six rules of podcasts. Listen, like, share, subscribe, comment, and most importantly, listen again. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>